episode of the New Roads with Jordan O'Donnell podcast with featuring Corey Van Aiken, snowboarder, music producer, renaissance man of many different angles, and good friend of host Jake Harris. Really looking forward to having you guys hear the pod that we did with Corey and all the incredible stuff that he's got going on, both from way back when he got into snowboarding, going through coaching, music producing, meeting up with Grizz, and a whole bunch of other interesting characters throughout the course of the story. Um, Going to be a really good one today. Hope you guys enjoy it. Here we go. Hello there and welcome to another episode of New Roads. I am joined today by one of my homeboys uh, through a series of random events. Don't ask us how we met. We're still kind of unsure. Um, Corey Van Aken. He is currently a resident snowboarder out in Frisco, Colorado. Um, A Blacksburg native, aspiring DJ um, with quite a story to tell. So, Corey, how you doing today, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me, dude. Yeah, of course, bro. Of course. What's the weather like over there in Frisco today? Dude, it's actually been pretty warm lately. It's been nice. Lots of sunshine. You know, they call Colorado the sunshine state. So had a lot of that, not too much rain, but yeah, up in the mountains, you get a lot more sun exposure. So not missing, not missing the humidity. That's for sure. Oh, dude, yeah, neither are we. We're currently in Big Bear Lake, California, laying low for a little while, enjoying some of the dry 70-degree days with a slight breeze. I, it's, it really sucks out here, man. I'm, I'm sorry we have to sit out here. <laughs> Rock on, man. Heck, yeah, it's been good, dude. It's been good. Yeah, heck, yeah, man. So, um, yeah, we'll go ahead and hop in here, man. Uh, I think you got, you know, just – knowing you personally and kind of following your story and um even from afar uh i think that you got a lot to offer uh to kind of the action sports world especially young athletes who maybe aren't sure where to start and then as well as musicians man that's something that i know you've had your hands in on for quite some time and now you're taking a lot of these childhood actions and starting to convert them into realities and and making these dreams come true man so i'm pretty pumped to start walking through some of that with you totally man excited to share it with you guys it's definitely been a long journey since like i guess middle school or high school is really when i started kind of becoming an adrenaline junkie yeah 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 Uh, i am i'm 26 yeah (laughs) 26 years young and uh, man, I guess I used to, I, I guess I started snowboarding when I was like, when I was really young, it was always something that my dad, my mom and dad kind of got me into the snow sports. They started out with me skiing at classic winter place, West Virginia, oh, yeah. the backyard resort. Um, <laughs> and started out skiing it was, it was fun. I wasn't super into it, but then I remember when I was like, I think I started skiing when I was five or six or four, maybe, maybe I think it was like four or five. And then I started snow. I transitioned to snowboarding when I was like six or seven years old. Um, because I was starting to get into skateboarding in Blacksburg, just like going to the skate park and stuff. I had a crappy little Walmart skateboard, I think. Oh yeah. And, uh, and I remember I started snowboarding and just kind of, I ran with it. Like we didn't go super often, but my dad would take me on weekend trips up to snowshoe and I, he'd throw me in like a group lesson and I remember always just having so much fun with it. And I remember always the instructors were like, this guy, 
is be- like be- better, like really good for his age at the time, you know? Right. Uh, I was only like nine, eight or nine years old, probably nine or 10. And I was like doing, uh, you know, 180s and grabs off jumps and bombing cup run, the classic West Virginia, Western territory. Yeah. And like, I uh, was always just kind of having a lot of fun doing it. My dad would drive, we'd wake up so early and just go on a weekend trip and like ride for the day and then come back home. Cause it's like a four or five hour drive um, from Blacksburg, I think. Right. Something like that. Yeah. And that's like, if the weather's nice and you can get up the easy side of the mountain. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it was, I don't know. It was a really cool, something that I always was, I was always doing and like was always pretty good at it. And I had a lot of fun doing it, but I never, uh, I never pursued it in a sort of competitive way or anything like that growing up. Like obviously going to Blacksburg high school, um, you don't have like the sports there is like soccer and football really. And right. those are like, you know, if you're going to do anything that's going to like go into college or whatever, like a sport wise, it's going to be those. Um, or like maybe basketball. I don't know. Just like the classic Southwest Virginia sports. Um, but right, right. I was always into the sports that never, they never offered at our high school. So like I played hockey um, and then snowboarding, obviously I did a number of other things too, but those were really the two main ones. I don't know why I resonated so hard with the winter sports. Um, but I did. Yeah. Blacksburg's bitter and cold, man. I well it is, but then it's so humid and there's no mountains right. there. I mean, the Appalachians are like hills. Right, 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 right. Exactly. Well, and that's like winter place for those that don't know. It's like what? 45 minute drive, easy, like night session drive and like you get down each run in probably less than 30 seconds if you know remotely what you're doing. Yeah, like probably under a 1,000 feet vertical, like somewhere way <laughs> under that, like probably 500 or I don't even know. But yeah. definitely, and the super slow classic like tow ropes and, and you oh, know, yeah, chairli- the, the single pulley chairlifts and stuff. The used chairlifts from some other resort that got rid of them in like the 60s. <laughs> Yeah, definitely backyard resort vibes, but it was cool. I mean, it was what we had definitely drove me to like, I remember they would never have a terrain park, but some years they'd have people come up and like ghetto build their own park. Like they would not do it through the resort. (laughs) People would just like build jumps off this one run that was like never, it was like kind of open, but it wasn't really a run. It was just like a mellow slope. And they would like bring the sketchiest rails and boxes that were all like <laughs> tore up and stuff and like build little kickers. And I remember like trying to like grind stuff when I was little and just being like, this is so sick, but like so freaking hard. Like, <laughs> um, but it, I don't know. It definitely like gave it that community. Like, yeah, we're out here to yeah. like get gnarly and chase the stoke and do it ourselves in our own way. Yeah, absolutely, dude. So, so that's like kind of what high school looked like. I know you're talking about like the middle school, the early mornings with your pops. Um, so before we like transition forward, because I know the snowboarding career is really where you, you know, pursued hardcore coming out of high school and into your young 20s. Um, what about music uh, during that same period of time? I know you were pretty involved with the underground scene, as they might call it in Blacksburg. Tell us a little bit about that. Tell us a little bit about the nights at Sycamore, maybe some of the uh, – you can leave out some of the details of some of those parties I've heard of. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Those are wild times, man. Those are the, for sure the early days. Like I definitely, I started getting into music or like performing music my senior year of high school um, with a good friend of mine. Uh, his name is Madi, Madi Torbenajad, who 
is an amazing singer, performer, dancer. But at the time we both got into DJing, we just thought it was so cool and different. And, uh, and I don't know, like going into college, we started playing house parties and we started, we actually threw a couple of our own events at in Blacksburg. Like, I think there's this old place. I think it's actually like a church or something. It's called 130 Jackson, but we like, oh, yep, yep. we like made a deal with them and, and rented it out. And we were all like 17. So we had like, <laughs> we're throwing like underage parties at like legit venues. It was just unheard of. Um, but like all our friends were like 16, 17, you know? So we were like, okay, like let's, you know, we'll have like a juice bar or something. And then we just, we, we like threw down just a big payment. Place. Yeah, I got production and, and charged like, I think 15 or 20 bucks a head or something like that. We actually like made pretty damn good money for people who were like in high school. <laughs> so, yeah, we were, for sure, dude. you know, that definitely kind of was like, oh, this this could be legit. This could be sweet. But um, I don't know that kind of it's interesting how that played out, because when I was doing music in Blacksburg for a while, I kind of got like in a pretty dark situ, like dark spot in my life where I really was just like, uh, you know, I was DJing these house parties and whatnot. And like, sometimes I'd get paid, sometimes I wouldn't, but like, it was just like a big party scene. Like right. I did a lot of sort of like not great things <laughs> and just was not, was not stoked at where I was at, you know, it was right. like, and that's, uh, so music was always there, but it was something also that I kind of was like over at the time. I was very yeah. like, man, whatever. Like this is when like dubstep was huge too. It was just like Skrillex was blowing up and everyone was trying right. to play that and i was super into that so i was just like more loud crazy noises and it was just love not, a dub dub yeah and it was i mean i loved that kind of i still love that kind of music but it was very like it kind of drove me into a spot where i was like i couldn't even i remember i like couldn't hold a job for a long time and i like okay. couldn't like uh i remember I one time it was literally this is like the turning point of me deciding to move it's kind of deciding to move to colorado but what happened is i moved to snowshoe first but right uh, prior to that, I I remember I got a job at Jimmy, Jimmy John's downtown on uh, oh, yeah, bro. Down on Draper right or whatever. Yeah, right next to Tots. Yeah, bro. And dude, it was so, so bad on my end. I literally like had a friend refer me and like got the job, did the interview and then had like a week long, a week's worth of training. And I like did it all. I like went through the whole week's worth of training. And the whole time I'm just thinking like, God, this is going to suck. Like, I hate this. And like, I don't want to fucking make sandwiches, dude. Like what? I want to snowboard and play music. And uh, it just, you know, I was so like lost at that time. And I remember going through the whole week of training and like, you know, had all these people like go through the trouble of training me. And then literally like first day of work, I was supposed to have my shift. Just no call, no showed, never showed up again. Full on just bailed. And like, I remember my parents, but I think my dad talked to me. He was like, or my parents were pissed. They were just like, you need to like figure out what you're doing with your life. I think I was like a sophomore age in college ish or junior maybe. Yeah. And, uh, and then my dad was like, why don't you try to like get a job teaching snowboarding? And Oh, at this point too, I had like hadn't gone snowboarding since like high school. We used to go on like a little dad and son or, or family weekend trips. But like, I I kind of like lost touch with that side of it. And then, I was like, oh yeah, man. Like I really miss snowboarding. I was really into skateboarding in high school too. And right. like college, I got really into like street skating and stuff like that. I tried to make a little movie with my friends, but never. Yeah, bro. It. With the little uh, like home camcorder and everything. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Dude, the Sony, I think we had a Sony, I forget what it was, but it was like this. A Sony brick. 
I think is what they called it. Sony brick. Is that Sony brick? Yeah. <laughs> it had the little fold out, fold out screen and everything. And it was digital. So that was cool. It wasn't a tape recorder but, or like a tape right. video, mm-hmm. but, um, but no, I remember right. my dad suggested that I want, that I like try to get a job doing snowboarding. He was like, you've always really enjoyed that. And I was like, Oh yeah, that could be really something. Cause my whole problem was like, I was just quitting. Jo- I like didn't want to do jobs. That I didn't like, I was just super just, like, kind of selfish. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I remember I was going to apply to winter place originally cause it was closer. And I was thinking like snowshoes, the big resort around there. So I was like, there's no way I'm going to get hired at snowshoe. Like, you like know, I'm, I'm a no- kid. Like I've never done, I've never worked in this industry. I've never like, I'm okay at snowboarding at the time, but like, I never, you know, thought, yeah, I was exactly, I was a punk ass. Um, (laughs) I remember I I applied online at winter place and then I was trying to apply online for snowshoe, but there's, I don't know if if you guys who are listening, there's like no cell service or internet at snowshoe. Like it's just not a thing up there. Um, cause they're by some huge space, like satellite tower that just messes all the frequencies up around there. So I just could not get any kind of contact with them to like apply for a job. So I drew, I got my friend to drive me up to snowshoe and in person, like met up with their ski and ski and ride school. Like I ran, I was literally just wandering around the village. Like, who do I talk to? I kind of like asked a few people that I saw at some of the shops. And I was like, Hey, like I'm trying to get a job at, uh, as a snowboard instructor. Like how, who do I talk to for that? And they like, I eventually found the person to speak with. And right then and there just like ended up doing kind of a spur of the moment interview and got hired. They were like, yeah, dude, we'd love to have you. Like I was just telling them how, you know, how, I, how long I've been snowboarding, how passionate I was. I think I actually had some experience coaching because I used to work for Blacksburg parks and recs in the summer and I would work, I would teach this skateboard camp in the summertime. Right. Um, so, so I like had a little bit of experience, but I really didn't know anything about like how to teach someone to snowboard. I just knew that I was, good at snowboarding and I could probably learn how to teach them. Um, but yeah, so it was funny. Like I got, I actually didn't get hired from winter place, but I got hired at snowshoe and, (laughs) and I was just kind of like, all right, well that works out. And, uh, moved on up there, dude, got employee housing, Ravenswood, Ravenshood. And, uh, yeah, man, spent that, that winter. I think it was the winter of 2012 and 13, Gotcha. And that winter changed my life, dude. That was Heck such yeah. such an experience. Just like fully, like I remember by the end of the season, I, I had made so many friends up there. Like I was, I I improved my snowboarding, but like taught a lot of other people how to snowboard too. Very and I was like, rewarding. this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like this is awesome. You get to snowboard like all the time. I'm actually making money for once. I have my own own place. Like. It was good. Show it was up a turning to work point. On time. Yeah. <laughs> early, dude. I'd show I'd go early and get like a lap in and then, you know, then show up. And it was uh I was stoked. It was sick. Yeah. Heck yeah, dude. So dude, yeah, snowshoe is where it's at, man. If you're right there in the mid Atlantic, there's no place like it, man. And it's like you said, it's when you kinda live in the Appalachia region of, you know, the mid Atlantic there's kind of like that is the move you know like if you're trying to do anything big it's gonna be at snowshoe otherwise you got to travel you know and if you don't have money you can't travel so you got to go to snowshoe and make it happen there yeah yep yeah that's the spot though they had they definitely have the best terrain for anywhere in that region for sure definitely definitely so all right you uh, 
were kind of, you know, you finish high school. Um, I think you were, you were in the senior year class when the gym at Blacksburg collapsed. Right. And then you really started skipping class. Right. right? That, that was my junior year actually. Junior and year, that okay. was kind of like this, I guess, sort of the start of it. Yeah. I, uh-huh. It was a big, yeah. Junior year, the roof collapsed. We got an extra month off school. All the teachers curriculums were screwed. I was friends with a lot of people in the senior class. So I was hanging right. out with, so it was kind of like, well, um, you know, in the Time morning, we did, yeah, we didn't, we went to night school then. So we had to go to the middle school after the middle schoolers and right. we'd all go to the river and, and like, you know, and drink <laughs> or whatever. And then like go to school. <laughs> I don't right. know. It was, it was a fun time, dude. It was a wild time. Dude. It sounds like you lived like the classic, like punk rock skateboarder thing in small town Blacksburg. I mean, I'm just like thinking of like, uh, what was it? Bam Margera show. And they're just, you know, wiling out and, you know, couple that with like jackass and stuff like that. And it, it's like, what do you think that that describes kind of, you know, the last couple years of high school, early years of like quote unquote college time. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Dude. We, we went through like a full on jackass phase cause we were skaters, but like, we, you know, we saw that and we were just like, this is, this is it. This is like the rebel. Right awesome like hell yeah stick it to the man like and we i don't know we got in a lot of trouble which it was interesting because i feel like snowboarding was kind of my outlet of adrenaline junkie finding a way to instead of getting in trouble with the law i found a way to get paid for chasing my adrenaline you know right in the long run which is a big uh, i was like wow yeah like i didn't need to change my actions or i mean i did need to change actions but i didn't need to change my inner drive and lust for like chasing stoke and adrenaline it was more so i just had to figure out a way to do it where i wasn't like breaking the law (laughs) dude yeah it's a love story bro it's a love story yeah so you you're finishing up this like first season at snowshoe um you're like holy frick dude this is it your heart and your mind are starting to like change and start going towards this like quote unquote pure form of adrenaline junkie madness and then when does the move to Colorado happen and how did that all transpire so when I was at snowshoe uh, all I heard was just how sick Colorado is it's the spot to be big mountains and I had actually gone on a couple family vacations there to ski and snowboard with my family when I was way younger, like in middle school. And I think the last year we did, it was like my freshman year of high school. Right. And uh, we'd go out to uh, Colorado. We'd get a condo for a week in Frisco and we would just ride at copper with my family. And it was so much fun, dude. Like I remember those days where I was like blown away. I'd never seen mountains that big. So I was like, you know, this little kid from Blacksburg, like, (laughs) <laughs> don't know what mountains are yet <laughs> right of course um, and so i remember at snowshoe like oh you know i have that i knew what i had a, had a taste of colorado prior and i everyone's talking about it they're like that's the spot it's the move um and i remember getting my certification uh through aasi psia for snowboard instructing i got my level one certification and that was a big deal for me and at it snowshoe. really yes at snowshoe um and I remember the, my like supervisor was like, this is like the start of like, what could be a huge career for all of you. Like if you continue to follow these certifications, like, right. um, you can, you know, go teach like all around the world if you get high, high enough certified. And I was like sick. So I remember that summer right after snowshoe, I 
applied out west everywhere. I think I applied to like Breckenridge, Copper, Keystone, just like every resort I could find, Winter <laughs> Park. And uh, I ended up getting a phone call, I think in July that summer, right after a snowshoe that right. I got hired for a job as a snowboard instructor at Keystone. Um, they were able to give me some employee housing and they were pretty much just like, yeah, I need to be here by like, I think it was like November 15th or something like that it was like the start of right. the training for that season. And so gotcha. I just stayed in Blacksburg that summer and worked and uh, got a super crappy old blue Jeep Cherokee for about 1500 bucks and uh, made it happen, packed it up to the brim with all my shit and drove 25 hours west on that date <laughs> and had a, it was sick though because i had a place to stay um like i had you know i had employee housing lined up i had all that right. and i also actually uh i moved out here with a friend of mine that i met at snowshoe that i worked with his name was trey and he met me about halfway because he was originally from memphis and gotcha. we, we met about halfway through the drive and then carpooled it the rest of the way and then he was actually my first roommate when i moved out here we both were working at Keystone as snowboard instructors. Heck yeah, dude. So um, at this time in the game, so this is like, you know, that you go to New York as an aspiring like Broadway actor, actress moment. You see Times Square for the first time. You're looking at the Rockies and like, holy frick, it's about to go down. Um, so, yeah, I know it was definitely, you know, it's it didn't stop there with like the hard work and, you know, the continuous i think that's a beautiful part of your story it's just the transformation of your mind and how it was like almost more of a spiritual journey than it was just and of course yeah it was a wild adventure but it was like a spiritual journey in a way for you of just like really finding yourself finding you know uh the motivational side of your person um and whatnot so start taking me through like what happens at keystone so it's your first job out there you're new to the area luckily enough you have this uh, connect with Trey um, from Snowshoe. What happens? You know, tell me about the honeymoon phase. Tell me the crap. Tell me the scary parts. Yeah, man, it was definitely a transformation uh, mentally, physically, and spiritually. I definitely, you know, I got in shape. Like, I actually remember for the first time, I was like, "Holy crap! I have a six pack from just snowboarding. Like, <laughs> that's sick." <laughs> um, yeah. And then mentally, it was just driven. Like, I had a career for the first time in my life. I felt like I had like direction. I had like a career. I was like, "Hell yeah!" Like, I can see the path now. Like. I'm going to run down it. Like, heck yeah. Um, right. And I was at Keystone and uh, like worked my first winter there and it was awesome. And then I remember staying out for the summer and got a job at, and also as a bike, a downhill mountain bike instructor. And like, I did that for quite a few years, I think like three years, two or three years I did that. But I remember my first summer also, I got hired uh, just through people I met at Keystone and working at Keystone. And obviously this whole time I'm like, just as much as I'm chasing my snow, my instructing and coaching career, I'm also improving my own snowboarding and like riding way bigger right. mountains, bigger lines, bigger like jumps, everything. <laughs> the, the terrain parks out West put <laughs> the West Virginia terrain parks to shame. Like you yeah, cannot, definitely, bro. yeah. Like I remember seeing a 30 foot jump in, West Virginia and thinking that that was like huge, like, holy crap, that's big. And then you come out here and we have 80 foot figures in the park on the large line. You're like, do they take planes off of these things or do people go off these? So I remember just slowly, like always trying to progress my own riding. And uh, eventually that summer, that first summer out in Colorado, I 
was working as a mountain bike instructor at Keystone. And then through a mutual friend who like made a Facebook post was like, Hey, we're trying to find, uh, hire some extra people at Woodward, which, uh, for those of you who don't know Woodward at copper Woodward is a giant entity that is owned by powder corp who also owns copper mountain. And they are like a freestyle, all sports freestyle training facility. They teach, um, BMX skateboarding. Like it is like the kids, any kid's dream who's a skateboarder to go to like a Woodward summer camp. It's like, you will get so good because their coaches are top notch. Um, they have pro riders come in all the time. Um, but this one specifically at copper mountain is mostly focused towards skiing and snowboarding, obviously. Um, and they have like a giant foam pit and, you know, mega ramp. They got trampoline, yeah. fly bed trampolines, like six skate park, six terrain park. Um, it's definitely the spot to be if you're trying to just get deeper into the world of like uh, a professional snowboarder and like the competition world, especially because they have their hand right. pretty deep in that industry. <laughs> um, and so I got a job there as just like a barn coach, which their barn is their indoor facility with like the trampolines and all that. So I just remember I was doing that part time and then I was coaching mountain biking full time. And then that next winter I became a snowboard coach for Woodward, but I was doing that part-time and then Keystone full-time. And then over the next two years since that happened or three years, I like slowly transitioned. Like the next year I was Woodward full-time and then Keystone part-time. And then eventually I was just Woodward full-time, like all focused on that. And I will say that I think I was pretty, I was pretty good when I came out here at first, like my snowboarding abilities right. and coaching abilities. I was like, I don't know. I could throw three sixties off like the medium line jumps. Right. Uh, I could do like a f- couple different, like I could do a five forty, several, a couple different grabs. I was, I was basic. But then when I started working at Woodward, you have free access to their facilities. So you can just like train yourself and get sick. And I remember like, then I started throwing like sevens. Then I started throwing, you know, inverted tricks, under flips, rodeos, right. wildcats, started tweaking them with grabs, like started getting way better. And then eventually like fast forward two or three more years later, started throwing like double corks, double flips, um, all thanks to the trampolines at Woodward pretty much like that is such a game changer in your progression. Yeah. Um, but I was still coaching. I was not snowboarding for anybody yet. I was, I was still right. coaching. Yeah. And I had chased all those certifications. I got really highly certified really fast. And I remember it was like, people were kind of like, Whoa, what? Like you got, it takes some people like (laughs) 10, like five to 10 years to get the level of certification that I got. I got full ASI cert three snowboard coach. I got my freestyle two and children's specialist certs, which then I was going to go for what's called a Rocky mountain trainer certification. And, uh, that was then going to allow me to certify other people and you can essentially get a job with PSIA and AASI, which, uh, is the organization that does those certifications. I bet your snowshoe buddies were like, wait, Corey, you did what? We're still over here at the shoe, bro. And you're like running the Abbey courses or in like all these different cert courses. Well, so this is more, this is more like a uh, coach, like more instructing coaching. Gotcha. I got my USASA certs, but that's more the coaching side of things. I think I gotcha. got my level 200, which is then that's when you're coaching athletes at competitions. Right. And like you're on the course with them and you're just that, that's way more chill. Cause you're not like instructing is way more. You're actually like, uh, they say that the person will come to you with 
they don't they just want to get better but they don't know how they don't have like a direction and right as an instructor you can kind of give them direction and show them the physical moves whereas like coaching typically an athlete will be working with you who has direction he knows what he right. wants to do but you're there more for like moral support and uh kind of hyping them up and like getting them to continue on that path and not get discouraged um, as well as occasionally helping them with the physical aspects of the tricks. But most of these kids, some of these kids I was coaching were like way better than me. So I was just like, <laughs> was I like, can't yeah, throw that trick, but doing that. <laughs> I, yeah, I understand how it works. Um, I'm not going to be able to demo it for you, like demonstrate it, but I can definitely like walk you through it. <laughs> yeah. Another beauty of YouTube too, man. You can <laughs> frame by frame. I find half the videos I watch on YouTube are, they don't know anything about snowboard coaching. <laughs> sure, <laughs> it's like, sure. it's like what they say. It's like, you, you're going to let your friend teach you how to snowboard. It's like, would you let your friend cut your hair or, right, right, you know, right. a, like change a clutch in your car or something like that. It's like, right. if you like leave it Gotta to the people. The yeah. The pros. Yeah, um, heck yeah. So what about the lifestyle, man? Like, so I know, you know, a good bit about, you know, we just kind of ran over what the snowboarding um, efforts looked like when you were out in Colorado. But what about the transition to the lifestyle out there? Obviously, for, you know, those that don't know, I mean, dude, I think you hopped into Colorado at about the best time you could in your lifetime because since then it's just gotten more expensive, harder to get your foot in the door. And, I mean, you were right pretty much on the front end of that, um, you know, figuring it out as a kid coming out there who hadn't held a job until you found Snowshoe. Um, and I mean, you're just, you're living the lifestyle now. So what was like the transition? Tell me a little bit about like the housing situation, some of the hardships that maybe you encountered just as a person trying to financially survive out there. Um, and then I know about the little condo action. So take us all the way home there. And, uh, cause I know you're, you got a pretty sick setup where you're at right now. Um, so yeah, run me through that, man. I think that a lot of people are probably curious, like, okay, yeah, so you're good at snowboarding. What if I'm not, but I still want to go and work at resorts and stuff? Can I make it? Totally, dude. There's so many, like, I was blessed because I had been, thank you to my huge shout out to my parents for getting me into yeah. snowboarding when I was young. That is something that's so, if you ever have kids, get them into the sports when they're like four or five years old because right. it, it will pay off so much. But like, there was definitely people who were not nearly as, like talented as I was at snowboarding who were working as instructors, you know, like, and you right. will get better just by working that job. And right. you don't have to have a whole ton of experience. Like I see people who get hired at Breckenridge and like huge resorts like Keystone that have that. It's like, this is their first time trying these jobs. And that's, that was something I noticed when I moved out here is that the people, just the people in general in Colorado and mostly wet, just West of the Mississippi really or West of Kansas, maybe, um, <laughs> is all, are all so nice, dude. So kind, so different. Like they're just on another level with their consciousness. It seems almost like uh -huh. if that, I don't know if that, you know, that might sound cliche is, but like, uh, it just seemed like everyone out here is so amped to like help people out or like help point direction or, um, just, to like be good people, you know, really like I right. know I made so many friends that first year that I'm still super tight with. And like some of these people have moved all over the world in the country. Like my friend Mick, who uh, Mick O'Hare was one of our uh, homies who he lived with me also me and Trey. So we had a three bedroom employee housing apartment 
our first right. year out here and it was me, Trey and Mick. And we, we had never met before, you know, it was just kind of like, it was almost like, you know, freshman year of college, you get thrown with a roommate right. in a dorm and then you like end up staying in touch with that person for the rest of your life, you know? And, th- and there's so many other examples of that too, with people that I've lived with as well as people that I've just worked with. And, um, everyone it's especially i will say just specifically in summit county and in the mountains here everyone is very they're not they're not driven to chase a box life which is what i call it is the box life you're in you're thinking inside the box not outside the box but that's like the typical uh east coast sort of like driven by boomer generation like you gotta work your butt off go to school get a job have kids and work your ass off until you're like 60 or 70 and then you can retire and have fun. And that's like, right. you know, rather that's than fraud, like, man, that should be fraud. Yeah. Right. Um, and I was just, ne- I never, uh, my parents never really pushed me for that lifestyle either, which I'm super thankful yeah. of. I knew a lot of people growing up, up who were very narrow minded in that. Like I have to do life this way. Um, everyone out here is like, like, like I've never met someone out here that has that mindset. They're all super, like their goals are just different. Their goals are right. instead of trying to attain a lot of money or like a, like, and you know, obviously you have to make money, like you have to, but um, right. I think that there's a difference between trying to like chase the money versus like making enough to just be stable and make ends meet and still like chase other goals like, traveling or snowboarding right. or music or whatever like having time for your passions yeah i think one of my friends put it really excellently one time uh i don't know if you ever met amanda when i was out there Corey, but i know you've heard me mention her she's the one i usually stay with when i'm out in colorado but she was like when we were talking the east is like you know business focused kind of like that box life that you were talking about you got the west coast which is like very entertainment driven everybody wants to be an actor and actress in some capacity or in that area but then you find the rockies and a place like denver where you know you have a lot of people who are you know exactly what you said they're more like chasing like a spiritual life um a life um driven by their dreams their goals their ideas um and you know they understand like you had mentioned uh dude you got to have some money you know like that's just the way it works so you do have to work something but instead of this like box life or this like super cutthroat entertainment career which you know shout out to those people that are you know still making that happen you know not bashing that dream or even the box life dream if that's you but um i think uh, you and I are definitely able to connect um, on a personal level even more so just because of this, like, yeah, dude, like, I'd rather make enough money and be able to kind of chase down my dreams and have my impact on planet Earth over having a really killer retirement fund, which some boomers might call us idiots for. But I think it's just like, dude, I'm pumped. I've got no regrets so far in my life. Um, and I think you would probably agree. Totally, man. And that, you know, like I said, like you said, too, no hate at all towards the people who are chasing that life like that. I realize, like, I understand, like having that stability and that, you know, that that 401k or whatever, like, that's a great thing to have. It's a good sense of comfortability. Um, But you know what they say, you can either grow or be comfortable, you can't do both. Right, man. Um, exactly. But I, I always had the mindset, and it's it has definitely changed in the past, especially since quarantine, which we can get into that later. But um, 
like that like i would always tell myself the first few years i was out here i was like you know i was pretty much living paycheck to paycheck right and uh and like i was you know i wasn't saving anything but i was doing all the sick stuff that these people who save up a ton of money and work a crazy nine to five job and they save up and then they get their two weeks of uh paid time off for vacation or whatever and they come and spend like tens of thousands of dollars to come up here and do what I get paid to do every day. <laughs> right. Like, exactly. You know, and that I just, I was always like, I don't know, like, I don't care. I'm doing it right. Like if I, if right. I was working a nine to five, I would literally just be fighting to try and come do this to, as much as right. I can. And it's like, I'm already doing that, you know? So like, why, why change? So you finished wrapping up, um, the coaching career at Woodward, right? And then talk to us a little bit about the transition. Uh, Cause I know you're kind of exactly like we had chatted about before the pod was like, you're more this, like this kind of new style of snowboarder you're getting paid, but it's not like, you know, the X games, you know, cover or poster child athlete. Um, but there's still very much a market for what you're doing. And it seems to be growing from what I can tell. Um, so yeah, can you kind of expose some of that a little bit and unfold that transition from going from like, you know, more formal employee at, you know, these big mountains to dude, yeah, you're, you're freelancing. Um, I know that, you know, you're using your DJing, um, at this point in the game and, you know, we can talk about that transition and how that really started coming to the forefront, um, in the last, uh, last bit of time here. Um, but yeah, where was that transition? Uh, how are you able to start making what you are doing right now a sustainable lifestyle? And maybe you can even start with like, what do you do now? Totally. Um, yeah. So like I pretty much transitioned. I got my first, uh, I started competing when I was at Woodward coaching still. And I started winning some comps. I did a couple of USASA ones. Uh, I remember I traveled home and did the West Virginia open right. and that was a thing. And I, I, and I won that and that was a nice cash. It was like a thousand dollar prize or whatever. Um, and I, okay. and I got that title and, uh, I had a couple other things going on, but like I got, uh, oh, and I went to nationals, I think one year, um, just as in USASA stuff. And right. I, I ended up getting, uh, sponsored by this smaller company called YME snowboards. That was, uh, the owners of it were friends with a mutual friend of mine who like got me connected with them. And uh, I rode for them for a couple of years and they did, it was awesome, man. It was my first snowboard sponsor. They were great That's guys. It. And they got me like invites to uh, snowboarder mags, the launch um, super park, all that stuff. And so I was starting to like go into that competition road, but I, I right. knew it wasn't for me. And I remember one year I got really hurt competing in a big air competition at copper. And it okay. was the year of the Olympics, I think. Oh, and wow. it was like all these guys who were just in, competing in where was it Pyeongchang I think um and I they, think so and they just got done with that and then came back and I was like competing <laughs> against all these guys who were just at the Olympics and I was like there is no way I was like <laughs> I, I have some doubles but like these guys are throwing like triples like right. like they're, they're throwing doubles on warm-up runs so I was like right, right. dude this is intimidating as hell and uh but you were there man you were there that's the cool part and I was thrown down. I was doing good. And then, uh, and then I just, I messed up and I took the jump too short and like got really injured. And I remember 
Uh, I, well, I broke my leg. I dislocated my shoulder. I broke some ribs. I pretty much just screwed the whole left side of my body because I knuckled a 90 foot jump, which is like to anyone. It's it's like jumping out of a four story building. You know, it's like (laughs) (laughs) with a board strapped to your legs that you can't get out of until after the fact. Exactly. So it was, but, but you're also like, you are pumped to the brim with adrenaline. Right. So it didn't hurt immediately. It hurt after for sure. Like when I was at the bottom of the jump, uh, trying to get up, then I was like, Oh, things are not okay. <laughs> was that the same year? 2010, that was the same X games that Torstein waxed himself pretty good and then came back and hit the triple cork. Right. Um, that, well, it wasn't, this was way later. This was like 2015 for me, but oh, I think I Tor you, I did you, that. This, yeah, this was only like three or four, three years ago, I think. Okay. Gotcha. 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 Um, but that was a big, so then I, uh, and I was writing for YME at that time and I was still coaching for Woodward, but I was kind of, I was starting to like the, uh, concept of snowboarding. Ooh, hold on one second. Sorry. Oh, my headphones came out. But uh, no, I was starting just to enjoy riding more. And I was like, kind of like, I want to snowboard for me. And I remember then that year, uh, I kind of linked up with some people from Weston. I met them at the trade show that that winter and then kept in touch with their team manager through the summertime or their events manager. Ben is his name. And he Mm -hmm. got me in touch with their team manager next uh, the next winter. And pretty much what I did was I went up to them at this trade show their booth and i was like hey uh i'm about to go to jackson hole with my good buddy cooper who's actually from blacksburg too he's a photographer homie right. of mine you guys like get a yearly trip together right and go out and shoot yeah shout out cooper he always comes out and sees me every year yeah, stays with me and we we try to plan some fun snowboard trips and we he's an amazing photographer too so we go out and just get content and uh if anyone out there is listening who's trying to to uh like get sponsorships or in anything, whether it's skateboarding or snowboarding, just stack content, get as much footage and pictures as you can wow. and try to get like the highest quality too. Like you don't even have to have that insane of a trick, but if the picture is like fire, if you have like a sweet back setting and the photographer knows what he's doing, like you can get really awesome magazine worthy shots. Um, but Sell yourself. We, I pretty much told them, I was like, Hey, I'm going to Jackson hole with my buddy Cooper. We're getting, we can get photos. I was like, I don't have a split board, but I have been split boarding before. I was like, would I be able to like take one of your guys' boards and in exchange, we'll get you some photos. We'll get you some content. Right. And, uh, they were like, yeah, sure. Like, that sounds like a fair deal. Like, you know, we exchanged info, everything. Um, the guys were super cool about it, super laid back for letting me do that. And I remember coming back to them gave the board, they gave me the board for like a week. So I was able to use it on the trip and then returned it and then uh, gave them the photos and they ended up using one for like a marketing advertisement post or something like that. I remember they hit me up and they were asking permission to use it. And I was like, heck yeah. So real quick, Corey, um, Weston is more, they are more so the like back country for people that don't know anything about it. They don't know what the term split boarding is. Can you just kind of run through a little bit about like that style of snowboarding um, and some of the reasons you love it? I think I know of a couple of them, but um, and then also like, uh, you know, you can even plug Weston a little bit and just kind of what their style is because they're not necessarily I know that they, they do do a park board and stuff. Right. But their focus is more on the backcountry split boarding and skiing route. Right. 
Totally. And yeah, so those who don't know, split boarding is essentially it's a snowboard that splits down the middle. It turns into a touring ski setup, but with snowboard boots and bindings. Um, and you can transition it back to a snowboard or to skis or whatever, how, like whenever you want. And you, you bring skins out in a backpack and you go ride out in the backcountry. So like out of the resorts, um, just out in like BLM or national forest land. And, uh, and so these split boards basically help you climb the mountain to your drop point, And then you, you put the board back together and then drop bombs. Yeah. And that's, yeah. So no lift access, like at the resorts, right. you all have a chairlift, but out there it's like, that's what, you know, you are your chairlift people did before chairlifts, you know, but they didn't have, <laughs> right. spl- they didn't have split boards. Unfortunately, they probably didn't even have snowboards, but, uh, it's snowshoes and a sled. And so that, that whole brand Weston is very focused around backcountry skiing and snowboarding. They make skis, snowboards, and split boards. They do have a freestyle. I wouldn't call it a park board, but like their, gotcha, the range right, yeah. and the logger are some of their more freestyle focused or like free ride boards, but they're not gotcha. like, they're not specific for park. Like you can right, ride right. them in powder and stuff too. But yeah, it's the whole reason you're like, well, why would you do that? That sounds not fun to hike up a mountain. <laughs> you have to um, do work. Well, if you've ever been at a resort on a pow day, it's probably like the most fun you've ever had. And it usually gets pretty chewed up by the second or third run, lots of tracks and stuff. This is how you find that, that like the ultimate, you know, the, the videos you watch of Travis Rice when he's out in the yep. backcountry, like surfing, it feels like you're surfing. You're just riding untouched powder. It's like five feet, you know, five feet deep you don't want to fall over. You want to stay up. <laughs> and I mean, it's just, it's the most addicting way of snow. I don't know. It's a whole other kind of rush. And then like yeah. also riding like big mountain stuff, like where it's like really high risk kind of environment. Like you, if you fall off this, you could, you're probably going to die. Like there's no way you're going to survive that. But like yeah. being <laughs> super in control with every turn is super calculated, understanding avalanche awareness and everything. Like there's a lot more factors that come into play versus like when you're just snowboarding at a resort, you just focus on, you know, your physical ability to get down the mountain where there's a lot of other external factors when you're riding backcountry. Yeah. Um, but that was really cool getting with Weston because it really just slammed that door open the ability to right. like get in with this crew of people who are like legend people who are just super well-educated. Like half of our team riders are Colorado avalanche, uh, CAIC like, uh, you know, guides and adventure guides or, you know, avalanche awareness, like instructors and stuff like that. Um, and they're just super, super knowledgeable, super experienced. Like there could not be a better, team of people to get into that scene with than them and Heck yeah dude that door just got flown like slammed open it was so sick getting with them because that's what i wanted to do i was getting fed i just got hugely injured i was like i don't want to compete anymore right i want to ride powder <laughs> yeah exactly dude and just enjoy i know that you're like a big hiking guy i know you've gotten some mountaineering in and i mean you're just shredding on the mountain bike so i think it just makes sense that you would be more inclined towards this backcountry route. I mean, it's just blissful wilderness, right? And uh, yeah, man, that was that was the start of something. Start of something big. I I remember I like 
put in my, I left good terms with Woodward. I put in my two weeks. I was like, I'm going to chase this like opportunity to ride for Weston because this was the first time. I mean, they're, they're still, I guess, considered a smaller company, but they are blowing up. And at the time they were way bigger than the company I rode for prior. Um, right. And this company had like an organized team. They had a good team right. manager, Leo shout out. So awesome at taking care of the athletes and team riders. Um, and they had a ton of events, like a ton of opportunity for you to just really get involved with uh, not only backcountry snowboarding, but like Weston as a brand and just the whole backcountry scene in general, right. like that whole community. I don't even want to call it an industry because it's, it's a community of people. Like everyone's kind of Heck there yeah, for the same reason. They're all helping each other, educating each other. I think that that's the like such the beauty of that community. I won't even. I'll, I'll, I'm going to get rid of the industry word and just start calling it the community, man. I like that. Um, but I think you see it so much, and I mean, it's. I think you're a living testament to the community. You know, it wasn't. It you know, it definitely was hard work and putting yourself out there at different times. But a lot of it is just you know building authentic friendships uh, that convert into like you know different business relationships that enable all of you guys to be different cogs in this th machine to really be able to collectively live this life together um, and to be an inspiration to a bunch of young athletes out there and not even just athletes, man, but even just people who are at odds with, do I chase my dreams? Do I work the comfort uh, job or, or what do I do? You know, and I think a lot of it really boils down to, uh, man, these contacts that you guys have and these friends that you've made that are, you know, lifelong brothers and sisters, really, um, that you just get to throw down with and enjoy on and off the mountain. Totally. Yeah, that yeah. and that, like, it, it's really cool. Because yeah, you do you do to make these relationships that like last a lifetime. And I still see a lot of the people that I met the first year working at Keystone as an instructor, a lot of those guys have like moved to California or Montana right. or Wyoming or, or, or like, you know, Oregon or Washington. And they all have uh, consistently stayed in the industry. But it's funny because we all started out as instructors and now we've all like grown into like my buddy Mick is uh, a rep for Burton now. And I see him at demo days where we go Heck to different yeah. mountains with all of like, you know, every brand is going to like does this pretty much where they'll go to different right. resorts and demo brand new like next year's gear and right. uh you know all the company reps are there a couple athletes are there always and like i'd show up with weston and nick would be there with burton and then a couple homies are there with like capita c3 and right. so it's, it's just really cool because you consistently it's really a small industry which is cool or a small community i should say yeah tight um, yeah but it's like you you definitely stay up with these people for sure that's as, as you grow so I know that um, – all right, so you you link with Weston. Uh, you start repping the set for them and with them, um, and that's kind of when you start pulling out of some of these other jobs and you start riding for them full-time. I know that you've got a couple other deals worked out. Um, and is this kind of the time where you really started, like, bringing the music back into – uh, the life. I know you've been DJing. Some of you guys out there might remember the name Diabetes, um, <laughs> but now it's Van Aken exclusively. Um, and uh, so you're starting to kind of make this transition to, um, you know, in addition to everything that you're doing with snowboarding. And I want to talk about some of the things uh, that you've been working on, some of the projects. I know COVID kind of threw a wrench into some of those things, and we'll get to that as well. But um, 
So yeah, was when did the DJ career, the music making, the production, when did that really start uh, ramping up uh, to what it is now? Uh, really just this last year, I felt like I was starting to finally take off, but I was doing it like when I was first getting with Weston and I, I left the other jobs, um, music was really my income, like snowboarding, like the little competitions here and there would give me some income. Um, I had a couple other brands that I was riding for that also would give me like a budget for the year kind of thing as support. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was obviously not near enough to stay supported or to stay, you know, successful for uh, right. six months of like a winter time. Um, so what I was doing is I was f like full time DJing and snowboarding, which was sick. Cause then I could spend all day. I could make my own schedule, you know, and I had gigs. I I'd always play like DJ gigs, maybe like two times a week. Right. Um, and I would just DJ for like anything. I would DJ for like bars, uh, the barn, right. Some of the barn sessions barn sessions at dj at woodward those that was good money and then i would play like it was always just super gig based you know but i would i had enough of a reputation i knew enough people where i could consistently be booking gigs for the whole year pretty much right. um and really just had the time to focus on either snowboarding or writing new music production and i remember right. i started producing really like under van aiken well i started producing his diabetes a while back but i didn't really know anything but as I just kind of consistently got better and better, I changed the name to Van Aiken because I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to do it for real. I feel like Diabetes was such a great, it was fun, it was creative, um, but it was definitely never a serious project. It was kind of just like, you know, Diabetes, like, yeah, he's diabetic. I also just got tired of telling people, like, I would, they're like, oh, it's your stage name. I was like, yeah, I was like, oh, diabetes. And they're like, oh, it's like diabetes. And like, yeah, I'm diabetic. And then it would immediately change the conversation from music to me. <laughs> and so I just got tired of that. I was like, you know, sure. I want something that's just simple. And luckily my last name fits perfect. So just ran with that. Um, my last name though is two words, Van Aiken. And my stage right. name, I just took the space out. So if anyone out right. there listening, give go look up Van Aiken on uh, Spotify, V-A-N-A-K-E-N. That's, uh, give me a follow. <laughs> You can follow him on uh, VanAkenBase.com. He's got all of his action there, too. Yep, yep, there as well. Um, but, yeah, that really started to take off in just this last year because uh, over the years, I, you know, being the DJ, like DJing consistently enough where I was playing parties, I was playing all sorts of events, weddings, corporate things, uh, DJing, like, at resorts during, like, out on the hill in the springtime. Like, New um, parties and stuff, too. Yeah, so I had, and I had met all the people who were in the music scene in Summit County and slowly started meeting more people also who were from Denver and other areas. And I, I don't really remember this, how it started, but there was a big party in Vail, and it was uh, Cherub was DJing. Oh, heck it's called yeah. the the oyster party is what it was called. And I was there with some friends. I knew people who uh, were, I kind of knew through music. Oh, here's a funny full circle thing too. Actually, this was the summer after my injury and it was the summer before I actually started officially riding for Weston, but I wasn't mm -hmm. really riding, riding for YME snowboards anymore. And uh, I was recovering this injury, but I was doing good. I was like healthy right, um, right. on my way back. And I was, really focusing on music that summer is when I really started producing. And that was two, I think that was two years ago, two or two and a half years ago. And uh, I remember being at this party and 
uh, Cherub was playing and it was at Agave in Vail and Grizz secretly headlined. He was there as well. And uh, this girl, Maddie O'Neill, who's a blowing up producer in Denver right now, super rad chick. And uh, we, I was there and I was hanging out in the green room because I knew, I just knew homies who kind of like knew the artists and that's kind of how I got to that party in the first place. And I met this dude, Brendan, who rode for Weston. And <clears throat> I was telling him, I was like, no way, dude. Like I'm trying to get with Weston. Like that's, <laughs> the brand I'm trying to link up with and I'm there like totally not even snowboarding's not even on my mind at this moment. Right. Right. And, uh, and I was kind of like chatting with this dude, found out he rode for Weston. He lived in Vail and he was like, yeah, all those guys are like super rad. And like, I don't know, it was just kind of like destiny, you know? And I kept, I like, yeah, kept in touch with him. And he actually is one of the other rad, like more freestyle focused guys on the Weston team. And so him and I have been hitting it off since like, you know, we, I'll hit him up to go build kickers and we'll do that stuff. Cause we, I think Weston is more composed of like big, huge, like backcountry big mountain guys who are very in it for like the, just like the gnar factor of climbing a crazy huge mountain and riding a very technical line. And then there's like a small handful also who are into still the, the like big air freestyle backcountry kicker uh, side of things. And he's one of those right. dudes who I, definitely hit it off with him that night. And then, you know, fast forward a couple months later, then I'm like riding for Weston and he's a really good homie who I knew prior that I was like, Oh, what up, man? Like, remember that party? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was really cool. But then I also that night met Maddie O'Neill. I met right. uh, Jason, who is one of the guys in the group Cherub. And uh, gotcha. I, I briefly met Grizz, but obviously I haven't like mm-hmm. done anything with Grizz. He's huge right right but one day one day for sure yeah. uh, but that really started really getting me into production and starting to like uh chase that more of an artist than a dj at this point now right and i ha- i was really good friends i had i was good friends with the guys who owned uh and worked for the barkley ballroom was like the main venue in frisco for a while and they just in the past year and a half or two opened a brand new venue called 10 mile music hall, which is like way bigger, more legit. It's got a full stage balcony, second floor. um, Really thought out space. Yeah. Like a actual legit like concert hall now. Right. And uh, they, the first year they opened, I think I played five shows there as a support actor, like an opener. Heck yeah. And, And I think three of those five shows were sold out. And it's like wow. a 700 person venue. Heck so yeah, that was, that was a big like moment where I was like, okay, I want to start. And I, and you know, when you're, when you're an art, like when you're playing those shows, you're backstage, you get to meet all the behind the scenes guys, like the management of, you know, I opened for Minnesota, opened for so down, opened for uh, like base physics and those guys. There was one other big dude. I can't remember right now, but. Well, you supported Maddie as well, right? Yes. Maddie and Sun Squabby. Yep. yep. Sun Squabby, yep. that band. And uh, I just kind of like started to, I, I built relationships then with people and connections with people who were more thriving in the Denver scene then. Right. And so I started kind of getting to know those people and they started to get to know me. And I, I don't have like, I still, I, I, I kind of have a following in Denver now, but like, it's not huge. But at the time I had no following and I had a big following in the mountains, like where I was playing this big venue right. and having people, you know, come out and I was throwing parties and stuff also like house parties in Breckenridge, but, uh, no, what about those, uh, you want to do a quick plug on those renegade style shows on the mountain? That's for sure, dude. That's <laughs> all, that, uh, big, 
I used to really DJ a lot with this crew. We called it more dope beats. And uh-huh. this dude, Ian, we started one year and we threw this, we were like, we were trying to throw, this was kind of before I even started playing at Barkley ballroom, but we, Ian and I wanted to play this big outdoor like rave. And it was the closing day of Keystone. My, I think second year I was there and we threw, we brought, we hauled a generator up to this plateau in the woods had a big bonfire and uh, we brought like a foldable table and two PA speakers and nothing else, no lights or anything. We were just up there like super sketchy setup, nothing professional at all. <laughs> uh, but we had like a huge turnout. We had probably like a hundred people come Thank just because yeah. word got out. And then um, we consistently did that for the next three years. And each year it just got bigger and bigger and we invited more people. We had other artists come play that were local DJs as well inspiring and we got like a whole light show system set up we had you know a ton of people that worked their butts off to set it all up and tear it down which was not the funnest part but uh but like the last year we had probably like 500 people there and it was like you know it was it was i remember talking with ian and being like there's no scene up here we should we should make a scene like we are the scene and, uh, and we did, and like it, yeah. it started getting really big. And then obviously like the Barkley ballroom started having more electronic acts. We, and then 10 mile music hall opened up and, um, I definitely threw some shows with another group that they call themselves the base initiative and Breckenridge. And we threw some pretty crazy parties. I just kind of always tried to have my hand in anything that was popping, you know, at the right. time, like any, any people that were trying to make moves, like, uh, or you know host big parties i'd be like hey like I've, I've been doing this up here for a while now like let's i'll help you out like let's do this big let's get a lot of right. people in on it um and actually even since covid hit uh, a lot of those people have since moved to denver or you know or back home or whatever like it, people kind of come and go up here in summit county similar to like a college town vibe um, right but uh one of my really good friends matt is like the production manager at 10 mile music hall Right. He's definitely been my biggest connection for getting some of those shows there as well as just getting advice and feedback on my music production and also how just to be a professional in the music industry. Like when it comes to uh, like setting up a show or, you know, being at a show and working uh, as a security or whatever, like he helped me kind of guide me through my process of getting deeper into the music industry. And, uh, that kind of just, I don't know, the, eventually the underground raves, they came to a stop because right. we got, we got a cease and desist order. The heat was on. Yeah. The, the people knew what was going on. I remember the forest service reached out to Ian and they were like, we know who you guys are. We see your Facebook events that had like, you know, <laughs> I think one of the Facebook events had like a thousand people or something. And it oh was like, God. so, and they were like, if you do this, we're going to like show up with like, uh like artillery well they were just like you could do uh time in prison or federal prison or twenty five thousand dollar fine it was just like we were just like okay no more of that (laughs) so because we had no permits we were just you were kind of hit on it a little bit but i know you were really heavily involved with a lot of like setup tear down production and stuff like that as well which i think is like you know, super helpful information for anybody out there, you know, with an aspiring music career. It's, it's not just about creating your own music, but about getting involved in the community. Um, you know, which I know you've done a lot of, and that's kind of 
uh, by and large, you know, kind of where you're at today, you know, why you're at where you're at today, you know, um, I know you helped set up some festivals and um, some of the big uh, competitions and stuff out there, uh, just taking part. You make some extra side cash and also, you know, it's opportunity. Sometimes you make a connection, sometimes you don't. And um, but I think, you know, just from knowing you, I know it's very much been a part of of the grind, um, as they say. Um, but yeah, dude. So let's talk about like some of your goals right now. Um, I know that kind of goes without saying COVID has changed a lot of things. Um, whatnot. I know a lot of stuff got shut down out there. Um, but so what are some of your goals and projects that you're working on? Um, maybe like top three goals and projects, uh, you know, within the next couple years, both on the, um, artist front and a uh, snow career yeah totally man that's well like so like i said i in the last year music was really taking off and i feel like it covid hasn't ruined like it hasn't it's just kind of put a pause to it but like this right. past year i went on tour with maddie o'neill for four four stops through the mountains of colorado right. and uh and then i i released a remix for her it's official it's like on spotify and apple music and all that stuff Check and then i also out. Uh, I'm just working on a collaboration with my homie Lucid Vision right now, who was also on tour with us. Um, he was the direct support act and he's also on the come up in the Denver scene. So I really am just trying, like my big goal is to finally breach into the Denver music scene. And really like, I think my music is there. Uh, I've been told by several other artists who are in Denver that my next step is I just need to start playing in Denver more. They were like, no one knows you because you live up in the mountains, but like your music is dope. If you just start playing shows here, it's going right. to take off. And I was really on the uh, verge of about to do that. And then quarantine <laughs> hit. So I was right. like, okay, it's not like it ruined it. It's not like I have to start over. It's just put on pause for right now. And I've taken the time to really work on new music. And I have, I think I have like a ton of new music. I'm thinking about putting out an album in the next couple of months. Um, if I can get enough songs to be able to do that, Def if not, right. then definitely a couple EPs and right. some singles. Um, like I said, we got that, that collaboration with lucid vision dropping, uh, and probably a, a couple weeks or a month or so. And then, uh, we like just finished it up yesterday. Heck, <laughs> and, heck yeah, dude. Um, and so that, yeah, that's a big move is being able to drop that album and really just break more into the Denver scene. And then on the snowboard side of things, uh, this was the first year where, uh, I was, I got to be part of making a movie with some of my really good friends on Weston. And we actually were able to get a lot of other companies on board as well. And we went up to Montana for a week and uh, was just doing entirely backcountry splitboarding, snowboarding, right. um, and documented the whole experience. And we're going to be dropping a film, uh, hopefully by like somewhere sometime around October, November. Got a name for it yet? Uh, it's going to be called Moment moment all right check it out people it's coming definitely and i'll get it'll get posted everywhere for sure once it's out there um it'll for sure be on like vimeo and youtube i'm not entirely sure about like itunes or anything like that yet but we are exactly. trying to get it in some sort of streaming platform maybe netflix that'd be that'd be sweet <laughs> yeah, uh, but, yeah but who knows you guys gonna try to do a premiere out in the in frisco or something rent out a little space do a little premiere well, so that was the plan. We were actually going to do a full premiere tour where we were going to go to oh, like yeah. Denver, Boulder, Summit, Vail, and then also probably up to Montana as well as out into right. Oregon where some of our sponsors companies are based out of. Okay. Um, but because of COVID, that's kind of a bust right now. We can't do big gatherings. Gotcha. 
Uh, so we're thinking about just putting this one out for free or something like, or like, you know, stream based monetization where we can just put it out and then we're going to be brainstorming for another big film next year as well. Um, but I'm super stoked on this path because it is actually for the first time, like pretty, pretty sustainable, good money. And it's, it's a passion project that is snowboarding related, but it's not like, uh, it's, it's almost more like film, you know, it's filmmaking. Like we're, yeah. we're coming up with, we're letting a, a story unfold based on a project idea of traveling to whatever location to chase something or do something, you know, like, right. and, uh, we're really able to kind of watch that unfold as it's happening. And, and the people on our team are so talented. We all have like hybrids of, you know, very talented snowboard athletes that are also very talented at cinematography or film editing or directing or music production like myself like i'm going to be doing all the uh like obviously i'm in the film as a snowboarder but i'm also going to be doing all of the film scoring and music production for the film so all the sounds and music that you'll hear in the film will be van aiken production van aiken production (laughs) heck yeah bro Um, i love it yeah so that's that's definitely it's just continuing to uh it's really cool because it's like I've kind of separately uh, done these two different goals in life, like music and snowboarding, and they both really started to take off. But now with this, it's like I'm I'm blending the two. It's like I'm right. I am taking my music skills and applying it to the snowboard thing that we're making. It's like a, it's just a whole other level of art, you know. Holy matrimony, baby. Yeah. And, yeah, bro. And huge shout out to all the people that are involved with it. Carly, Jacob, Jeff, TJ, all those, all the homies on the team. Like, um, it's like, we're, it's really like having good people surrounding yourself with good people is like half is, you know, half the battle. That's like yeah, what will help you get to the next level for sure. Yeah. I think Jonah wishes he might be able to have, somebody a little bit better across the table but he's got what he's got um heck yeah dude well so i know so i know um i was really quick for you i mean you know <laughs> basically it just makes my job as producing and editing like it looks that much more impressive when we come out with a great product on the other end of things right yeah exactly exactly um heck yeah dude so you are clearly a man of action ladies and gentlemen cory van aiken um dude to wrap things up um the world um, I know at one point you did a really sick skating camp that was down in Bolivia, I think. Um, and you know, you are definitely about, you know, environmental sustainability, taking part in that. Uh, I know just with like some of your lifestyle habits and stuff, but even more so than that, um, it's a crazy world right now. Um, you know, especially in the U S very close to home, um, issues that we're facing and whatnot so being a person uh you know of influence to whether it's young athletes or musicians um or just being able to influence people that uh look up to kind of your life's story um how are you taking part in all the action man how is uh you know during corona times um what is the area that you think you're um trying to put some of your energy towards outside of you know, your professional career in both snow and music. Um, I know that you are a pretty active guy, um, even on like a social, social front. Um, so yeah, man, what's that look like for you? What are some of the things that you're pretty stirred by and, um, how do you want to project your passionate heart onto the world to change it, man? Well, totally. I guess first I should say, wear your fucking mask, dude. God, 
<laughs> it's pretty simple. Sorry, right? I don't know if I can curse on this, but Jesus, wear your mask. It's so easy. It's so easy. Just do that. I don't know. There's all these other countries that are like doing good now because right. they just did what they were fucking told in the beginning. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. Um, New Zealand, killing it right now. Um, but yeah, uh, I definitely, a quarantine was an interesting time uh, for sure. Like I had, you know, I was doing music full time and snowboarding and that all came to a sudden halt. All my gigs got canceled right. um, or rescheduled. Like I have one gig still. That's my closest gig is rescheduled for February 6, 2021. And wow. so that's kind of like, um, that's why I've just been doing these underground things. But uh, I definitely think like, you know, with all the protests that went down, uh, it's it's definitely a little it's good to see that like, especially back home in Virginia, they've been making moves on the, the statues, but like also, I don't know, like do more, do more than that. Like there's, I feel yeah. like that they haven't like Colorado has actually taken um, action and do in the defund the police. Like they're trying to do a whole entirely reformed police, uh, I guess, program. I was kind of reading up on it and they're, they're like kind of, they're essentially, they're trying to completely restructure their whole, 911 emergency uh i guess what is that industry or whatever like that's you know they're gonna have like medical or mental mental health professionals that are able to respond to those situations and not have you know there's a lot more regulations put into place now with how police can use violence and and when they should use violence if if it's like absolutely necessary i think that that's a big thing but it's such a sensitive topic too like Right. You know, there still is a lot of terrible things going on that is like really painful to watch. And I, I guess yeah. being up in the mountains, like, you know, you're pretty isolated from a lot of the other things. A lot of what I did through the quarantine was kind of just try to post educational things like on my Instagram, right. uh, on the stories and just kind of try to stay present with the times. Um, but above all else too, is really just trying to be, like a good person, like maintaining good connections with people, trying to check up on right. people, hit up your loved ones, hit up, you know, people who you think might be struggling. And, staying educated. Uh, yeah. The big one was staying educated for sure. And like that, at least like on my part of what I was trying to do. And like, I think that I read something that was like, there's different levels of like protesting or like people, like when there is like a revolution happening right now, Right. Uh, like how can you take your part and there's like sort of the front lines people who are like down in the city who are you know out there actually like pretty much at war and uh yeah. and then there's people who are like more uh maybe who are like in the law like the department of law who work in that who have had jobs in that who are in you know their city councils and stuff who are people who can also like make change from within and then there's also people who are just who can like if there's if you're not kind of part of those you can also help just by educating other people trying to be someone who is a source of uh information that is reliable like obviously <clears throat> a lot of people kind of just post nonsense to twitter and instagram and there's yeah. a lot of fake shit out there for sure but trying to find reliable news sources and also just real stories like i'm not saying that if someone just posts something that it's not real. There's a lot of videos that were getting posted. That's like, yo, this is actually what's happening right now. Right. Like it's kind of crazy. So just staying educated on what's happening currently. Finding some context to those videos too. Yeah. I th And I think a lot, like I think right now, especially it's sort of like a lot of people feel like it might be calming down. Um, but it's like, it's not, it's still going on. So 
it's so uh, present of like all this corrupt shit that's going down. And I feel like during quarantine, people were probably super stir crazy and just already ready to, to like get angry or mad at anything. (laughs) And like, and like a lot of stuff was getting blown up and blown out of proportion and, um, or even just under, like under exaggerated too. Um, I think it was just like a really crazy time, but people have since sort of, uh, been able to calm down and are like forgetting about things. I think it's really important to just stay educated on what's going on. So, you know, like, you know, what is actually happening in the world right now. And it's not even the, I mean, it's say the world, it's really just this country, like that has some pretty big issues that from what I've noticed, uh, when I think that those are the ones, um, with like the whole Epstein shit and all that. (laughs) Yeah. I think that the, problems closest to home are the ones that you know of course it's important to be up to date and you know advocating for some world issues but some of the things that you actually have the most control over are right here in our backyard you know totally totally yeah Yeah. it's like you you can change the world but you have to start with yourself and then people around you and then you know so on so forth Um, but it is a huge i do remember talking with uh, my girlfriend, as well as uh, with Torstein, and and prior to all this, uh, people have been saying that there was going to be a huge shift in energy, a huge uh, ascension of consciousness, essentially, where people are going to start realizing like all the fucked get up woke. shit that's going on. Yeah, like not you know I I hate saying get woke, but it it right, really right. is. People are people are waking up, they're realizing it, and yeah. I think more and more people every day are starting to realize it and it's a huge it's kind of like you know either get with it or or gtfo dude like that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> um, it, there's a lot of you know it was and it was pretty crazy like how that all unfolded because we knew something was coming but it was or like had been told by so many different people um that something was about to happen something big but we yeah. just didn't know what and then it kind of like when i remember when COVID first hit it was kind of like oh yeah you know like it's probably just another flu or whatever. And then, and then, boom. And then it just, oof, yeah. How many months yeah. later now? It's like, wow. Geez. Yeah. Heck yeah, man. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. The DJ snowman wizard of the world, passionate about change in yourself and across the globe. Corey Van Aken. Corey, loved having you on, dude. It's a personal pleasure, man. I know when I was thinking of some people that I'd love to have on, you were one of the first that came to mind, man. I, I definitely enjoy hearing your story every time, man. Um, yeah, so kind of into close, um, you've been giving out some incredible shout-outs along the way. I love seeing that. Um, any other shout-outs that you want to give? Um, you know, you shouted out a couple of your sponsors, the good old Rents. Um, anybody else? Um, dude, just, if you're anyone really, who's anyone who's listening, man, you guys, if you're out there and if it, if it inspires you to make change or anything like that, man, just get after it. Like, like you said, you can either be comfortable or you can grow, but you can't do both. You got to step outside that comfort zone a little bit, but, uh, the world is changing right now. So I think that's why we're all a little uncomfortable. Should embrace that and run with it. And uh, it's gonna, it's gonna lead into something super positive. (laughs) Definitely. You want to rail off your uh, Instagram handles and your website. I know we already mentioned it, but we can put it all right here and we'll throw it into the links uh, to the pod as well. Totally. Yeah. If you guys are out there, please uh, check out my website. It's vanakenbase.com. Uh, also, my Instagrams for snowboarding is 
at Van Aken Bacon. And uh, for music, it's at Van Aken Bass. And check me out on SoundCloud and Spotify. It's just Van Aken Bass all across the all across the platforms, Facebook and all that stuff too, Twitter. So um, yeah, give me a follow, please. I'd love it. I'd love the support. I really appreciate it. And hopefully you guys dig my music as well when I'm be dropping that album soon. It's going to be a whole new, whole new level. Heck yeah, man. Well, Corey, it's been a pleasure, man. Um, ladies and gentlemen, check out his music. I've been following it for quite some time, and he's got a unique sound worth listening to. If you're coming from a, a classic rock uh, you know, love of music or an electronic or just you want to hear something fresh and rhythmic and melodic, this is this is the man to be listening to. Um, so, yeah, Corey, thank you so much, man, and I uh, hope to see you soon, man. Got to get back out there. Likewise, man, likewise. Much love. Thanks for having me. This was super fun. Heck, yeah. Well, take it easy, buddy, and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you.